It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Smith rifles that one to Mims. And that's a foot race. He's going to win. Touchdown, Baylor. Denzel Mims with another monster score of 70 yards. Five straight games, Anthony, where he's got a touchdown catch of over 20. That's deflected and picked up Mosey. He'll take it in. It's a pick six into the middle of that line and it's a touchdown big return for Crowder 85 yards there was contact with a quarterback and it's incomplete they got pressure on Prescott it was Adams who came blitzing in he'll hit immediately when he got the handoff you know and what? it's <laughs> the Q-inator. oh my gosh listen thank you from the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And one of my favorite people to talk to around draft time and after draft time, of course, is Mr. Brett Coleman, the host of The Film Room on YouTube. He's also got a podcast called Bootleg Football with EJ Snyder. We had him on before the draft to talk about some of the players that the Jets were going to be able to choose from. We also talked a little bit about Denzel Mims because he made a great video about Denzel Mims, referring to him as a sleeper superstar. So I wanted to really dig in depth with him again on that. But Brett, before we get to that, I wanted to talk about the latest video that you made where you were doing your trademark thing of drinking scotch while talking football, which we've all come to know you for. And you were talking about how well you thought the Jets did in the draft and how it's such a different thing for you to think about because typically most people are smashing the Jets for what they've done in the draft. I thought the Jets did pretty well. You seem to think that they did even better than I thought they did. I want to start with Makai Becton because the last time you were on the show, I asked you if you would take all of the tackles over any of the wide receivers. And you paused and said you would take all of them except Becton. You were wishy-washy on him. But in the video, you changed your tune and said that the Jets hit a home run by getting Makai Becton at number 11. What changed your opinion on him? Uh, every single year, there's guys where you watch them early in the process because of you know somebody says something hyping them up. And you're like, okay, let me go check this out. And it might just depend on which games you watch or, you know, maybe you watched somebody you like even more right before. And so in the back of your head, you're kind of comparing them to a superior prospect and it kind of maybe colors your perspective on them a little bit. Um, and so I watched two games of back then, back then, and I, I didn't really see it. And then since then I had watched five more games and I, I got the end zone angle, which is a little bit easier to watch. Um, than broadcast. So I finally got my hand on some All-22 for, for Louisville, and I got seven games worth of it, and I'm watching them against Syracuse, and I'm, I'm watching them against Notre Dame. And um, I completely changed my perspective on him just from kind of all the added information and um, not to mention finding out that he was working with Duke Mannyweather, who's without a doubt the best offensive line coach doing it right now. He could go work for a team if he wants to, but he finds – that he's more impactful as a coach um, doing more kind of uh, personal training type stuff. You know, he works with Lane Johnson. He works with Mitchell Schwartz, Trent Brown. He's got a lot of pro bowl and, and all pro offensive tackles on his resume. Um, and he works with Jeff Schwartz too, who's a, a noted offensive line kind of media personality. And and so he, the fact that he's working with Makai to improving the things that I still think he can improve, you know, I, I think his hands, can still use a little bit of work. I think his feet 
he takes a, a pretty vertical set, which uh, I guess for somebody his size is okay, uh, just because he has such long arms, he's hard to get around anyway. Um, and normally, a, a, a pure vertical set, I, I question a little bit, but again, with his strength and everything like that, he, he's pretty good at still handling inside counter moves and stuff, which can kind of punish a vertical set. So overall, uh, technique-wise, he's okay, but Duke can make him great. So part of me was thinking, all right, let me just gamble on the athlete because I know he's getting good coaching, not to mention seeing more games and kind of uh, seeing more of his positive performances, notably against Syracuse, where he absolutely demolished that defensive line that had two edge rushers that are going to be on NFL rosters next year. A lot of college teams can't say that. Syracuse had two of them in Alton Robinson and Kendall Coleman, who are now Seahawks and Colts uh, edge rushers, respectively. And uh, he threw them all over the field. They they were a, they ran probably twenty times on outside the outside zone lead right behind him for like a buck fifty, and it was utterly just almost <laughs> soul crushing <laughs> if you're a defensive coach to watch him throw these guys around. So I, I don't I don't want to say that I flip flopped on him, but yeah, I kind of flip flopped on him just because of of seeing him more and kind of learning more about him and learning more. Uh, how he projects and, and the coaches he's working with. And I think that's that's kind of an important part of the draft process is having an opinion, but also be willing to change that opinion with added information. I wasn't just going to sit there and say, no, I'm, I'm never going to like Mekhi Becton just to save face on an earlier opinion. If I believe he's going to be a good player, I'm going to say it. And I think Mekhi Becton is going to be really, really good. When you came out of the process, who did you end up comparing him to? Because I know that you like to make NFL comparisons just so people understand where you're coming from with your evaluations. And also, in the final evaluation, where did you have him? Because the last time we spoke, you had him as your number four offensive tackle. Did you move him up above any of the other tackles by the time the draft had come around? So he was OT4. He ended up being at OT2, right behind Jedrick Wills. And like I said, I, I had watched Jedrick Wills right before I watched Mekhi Becton the last time, and Jed is kind of in his own tier. And so I, I was kind of unfairly comparing him to Wills, who in my opinion is the best offensive tackle to come out from Larry Tunsil. So he was a, a little bit of a victim of that. But he ended up moving up to OT2 just ahead of Andrew Thomas, and then Werps was OT4. In my last rankings, then Josh Jones was OT5, who weirdly ended up going in the third round when he definitely should not have. But anyway, that's a whole separate issue. Uh, in terms of who Mackay uh, Becton reminds me of, it's tough to say. I think a lot of people are unfairly comparing him to Greg Robinson because people think, okay, raw, superior athlete taken you know, high in the draft. That must be like Greg Robinson. No, he is so much further along than Greg Robinson ever was he's a better offensive tackle now coming out of college than Greg Robinson is now well I guess he's no longer in the league because of off the field stuff but if he was still in the league Mekhi Texan would still be a better player than Greg Robinson after five years in the league like he is way further ahead in terms of his development in terms of who he can be not saying he is but who he can be Jonathan Ogden in terms of size length athletic ability just unbelievable power, um, physicality. He can be Jonathan Ogden. Will he get there? It's tough to say, but I, <laughs> it's hard for me to say that he won't be because, I mean, the talent is just unbelievable, and he works really hard. He's a good kid, and he's working with some really, really good coaches to help get him ready to start from day one. 
I, I think the Jets got a, a just a truly phenomenal player. I agree. I am extremely amped up for this. Anybody that listens to this show knows that I'm very high on Mekhi Becton and have been for quite a while, so I can't wait to watch him in a Jets uniform. I'm also really excited for Denzel Mims, the Jets' second-round pick out of Baylor, but I want to come back to him because you made a separate video on him, Brett, so I want to bring him back in after we go through the rest of these draft picks. The Jets' first third-round pick, number 68 overall, some people were a little confused by it because it was a safety, Ashton Davis out of Cal. I was a big fan of this pick, like Davis a lot as a player, but you really love him. You actually had him as your number one safety in this draft. For you, this was an absolute home run, right? Yeah, and the only reason, and I mean literally the only reason he was even available in the third is because of the coronavirus. And allow me to explain. He had a groin injury towards the end of the last college football season. Had it checked out at the Combine, but after the Combine, where he could not participate, um, everything got shut down. So doctors no longer had access to him to do rechecks. There was no medical – usually there's kind of a medical recheck event in Indianapolis after the Combine. It's like, it's like a month or six weeks or something after that. That got canceled. So the fact that no team doctors had access to him, nobody could bring him in to work him out because he didn't have a Combine workout, meant that his stock completely went in the tank, relatively speaking. He should have been a first-round pick. I know there were teams that had first-round grades on him just purely on tape, but because they didn't have medical information, they couldn't work him out. Uh, they could only interview him once at the Combine. They, they couldn't really talk to him other than that, except for doing kind of like online interviews and stuff like that. Uh, you know, Teams with extremely limited resources were not going to spend a high pick on a guy that they couldn't work out and that they couldn't medically clear themselves. So that is the only reason he went in the third round. He was my highest-graded safety. Uh, Grant Delpit, I had a higher grade just as a pure free safety, but in terms of overall safety, somebody that can play in the box, in the slot, free. I mean, you could even play him at corner. He was the highest overall grade in terms of positional flexibility. Just a tremendous athlete. We're talking multiple-time All-American track star in the hurdles, and, and I think anybody who's familiar with track can tell you hurdlers are usually the best athletes out of all the runners. Uh, his, his hips are great. His feet are great. He's experienced. He's smart. He's tough. You can play him anywhere. Uh, like this was a pure value pick. It's not, you know, th this wasn't a pick where it's like, okay, let's go replace Marcus May. Like, can he replace Marcus May? Sure. But really the only reason they took him is because he's so damn good. They couldn't afford to pass him up. Even if they didn't have an immediate need, even if they weren't going into the draft planning to replace May, you know, if a Pro Bowl caliber safety falls to you, you just take him. Like it's, and that's kind of the freedom they have right now. Like they, they found their quarterback in Sam Darnold. They got their left tackle in the first round. They got him a receiver in the second round. So they're like, hey, whoever's the best player on the board, let's just take him, regardless of position. That happened to be Ashton Davis. And now I, I think the safety trio of Jamal, May, and Ashton, I mean, it, to me, it's the best in the division, but I think it could end up being one of the best in the whole league when you look at it. The thing about it is, too, Brett, even though he was, quote-unquote, the best player available, I think the reason that Joe Douglas took him is because he wasn't just the best player available. He was the best player available by a lot to a lot of people because this is a player that, as you said, 
a lot of people thought could go top 40 or 50. So for him to slip all the way down to 68, and while the Jets don't have an immediate need per se, Marcus May is on the last year of his contract. We know the Jets want to pay Jamal Adams. You're not going to pay two safeties big money. So you figure Davis comes in here. Like you said, you've got that three safety combo year one, and then year two, perhaps Davis takes over as the center fielder because that's really what he's best at, right? Yeah, I think he projects best as a free safety that can let Jamal kind of do Jamal things down in the box. I mean, Jamal can do whatever, and Davis can do whatever. But I I think really where they're at most home is Davis kind of using his range and speed to roam deep, and then Jamal kind of hunting for the ball down low. And the thing is, again, because they're so versatile, you know, you can kind of do a lot of bait-and-switch type stuff where – you're showing too high and then you drop Jamal down late or you rotate Jamal deep and you drop Davis down low. You know, you can really just rotate all over the place and just kind of keep quarterbacks guessing. And there's some young quarterbacks in the division now. I think Tua is going to start sooner rather than later, especially if he's medically cleared. Uh, You know, Josh Allen is still in the first, what, four years of of his career, three or four years of his career. Uh, And then you got Stidham who is – just starting his career so there's a lot of young quarterbacks in this division and I think if you have versatile safeties that can rotate all over the place and show one thing and then do another and and just kind of keep these these young QBs head spinning like that is a valuable thing to have so uh, I'm I'm really excited to see how they deploy all three of these guys on the field uh, this year but worst case scenario God forbid Jamal gets injured or, or May gets injured again you have a guy who can step in immediately and you will not miss a beat While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill. They operated a full-service bar with 50 employees and were always exhausted. They tried all kinds of products, but they didn't work. Then they started experimenting with CBD. They loved the effects and regained control of their days and nights, but they wanted better CBD products. So what they did for themselves was specially formulate CBD gummies with vitamins D3 and B12 that were super consumable, easy to take on the go, and effective. Long story short, their specially formulated CBD products and vitamins helped relieve the overwhelming angst they felt on a daily basis. So in July 2017, they named the company Sunday Scaries and began sharing their products with friends and launched their online store at sundayscaries.com. With tens of thousands of customers, monthly subscribers, and a 100% money-back guarantee, Sunday Scaries has always been on a mission to transform a worrisome nation into a chill one. And right now, we have a bonus for you. Get 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Again, 25% off all products at sundayscaries.com when you use the code OVERTIME. Hey guys, this is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hoopin' with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them, keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin' with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint 
unlike anything that we've ever seen before. And I'm going to be giving you picks every single day, seven days a week with Major League Baseball. We're also going to be keeping up with the KBO as well. If you like baseball and you like being able to make some money, subscribe to the Baseball Betting Podcast with Greg Peterson on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. And then you had the two Florida guys coming off the board next for the Jets. At number 79, Jabari Zaniga, the edge rusher slash defensive end from Florida. And then LaMichael Pirine, the running back from Florida. For me, those picks are okay. It's not that they're bad players. I just thought there might have been better value there. I get a little nervous with Zuniga because of the injuries, and he flashed, but he wasn't really that consistent of a producer. And then Pirine is sort of a replaceable part to me. He's not bad in anything, but he's not especially great at anything. So that's the type of guy that I think you could get way later in the draft or even as an undrafted free agent. But I think you like those picks better than I did, right? If they're deployed in the right way, I think Pirine's sole job is to just take touches away from Le'Veon Bell so that you can use Bell when you really needed to use him, which is on third down or kind of key short yardage situations when you need a back with exceptional vision and power and all that kind of stuff. You know, save Le'Veon for the plays that you need Le'Veon to be great. And then let P. Ryan take some random first and 10 carry in the middle of the second quarter. You know, let him take the beating and then let Bell be the playmaker like that's that's really how I want him to be used because that's kind of what P. Run does again you're you're, you're dead on he, he doesn't do anything exceptionally well um, but he's solid in a lot of things and I think he's kind of your your quintessential almost like Alfred Blue type second running back you know where he's just there to, to soak up carries and and keep your best guy fresh um, as for Zuniga I like him better than his teammate Grenard I think Zuniga is a little bit faster off the ball. He's still good against the run. Grenard, I think, is pretty good against the run. And Zuniga is just as good against the run. But he provides a little bit more juice in his first step. He's got a really nice inside counter. I think his punch is stronger. Um, his hips aren't quite as good, but instinctually, I just think he's a better rusher from that standpoint. I think he's a little bit more versatile than Grenard. And so, you know, should he have gone higher than the third round? No. Like, I, I think they took him right where his value was. And by no means do I expect him to be Batman, but I think he can be Robin for you. And for a third-round pick, for a rotational edge rusher with, you know, some special teams ability and some upside, like, yeah, that's, that's totally fine for me. And then after that, it got a little weird as Captain Morgan gets picked in the fourth round with one of the extra picks that the Jets picked up from the Patriots in that trade down. I understand the thought here. A, they wanted to keep him away from the Patriots, and B, they did really like him. Smart kid, big arm. They think he could be the long-term backup for Sam Darnold. I just feel like the Jets had other needs, and a backup quarterback in the fourth round, I know there is this thought that having a long-term backup is important or that if he becomes really good, you could flip him for draft picks, but that never really happens. The last time I can remember a quarterback being flipped for more than the initial investment in draft picks would have been Matt Hasselbeck because even Jimmy G, he was drafted in the second and then flipped for a second. So the joke I made was essentially what it ended up being was the Patriots took Jimmy G, did all of John Lynch's dirty work for three and a half years, spending the time to develop him, and then got their initial investment back, sending him to the 49ers. So when he was a finished product, Lynch took him off of their hands. You don't see that a lot. I get the idea of the long-term backup, but the problem is if he's good enough to be anything more than that, 
then he's going to leave and get a starting job elsewhere. And if he's not good enough to be more than that, then was he really worth a fourth-round pick? And then I like Cam Clark, though, in the fourth round. I haven't watched a ton of him because he went to UNC Charlotte, and it's not like anybody's sitting there and watching a million tapes of that school. But Alex Highsmith and Cam Clark were obviously worth watching. I loved what he did against Clemson. And as you said, Brett, it matters a lot who these guys work with, and he's another Duke Manyweather guy and has a relationship with Mekhi Becton. So good possibility that if Cam Clark continues to develop, you could see Becton and Clark, who are two really good friends working with Manyweather right now, being cornerstones of this Jet offensive line for the next bunch of years to come, right? You put Becton and Clark right next to each other at left tackle, left guard, and I defy you to find any defensive lineman in the division that's going to hold up against that double team. (laughs) That is a lot of beef right next to each other. Uh, I think that's probably what they're going to end up doing is having Clark be at guard. Maybe they try and see if he can work at right tackle in that competition um, with Fantz potentially, because I think Beckton's going to be the left tackle. Like That's not really a question to me. The question is who wins the right tackle job. So Clark can kind of throw his hat in the ring there, most likely just to get the best five on the field. He'll end up at guard. Now, I'm not sure which guard position. That's going to be up to the coaches to figure that out. But I, I, I think with his physical talent, and again, like you mentioned, he's a, he's a Duke Manny-Weather guy. So I think his technique right now is better than it was two months ago, just by default from working with him. Like he's, he's a really, really good offensive line coach. And so I think he has a lot of high upside because of his talent and because of who's working with him. So I think he will start sooner rather than later. I just don't know what spot. Uh, in terms of Morgan, there's, this is probably the most controversial pick. I like it because my philosophy is you're only as good as your worst quarterback. If Sam goes down again with Mercer or some other random thing he happens to catch, because <laughs> that just seems to happen to him, you know, you, you need to have a guy who can come in and win a few games for you, especially with the Jets. I think their roster is now at the point where we're thinking like wild card contention here. Like you, you and Denver and the Chargers, you know, are, are you thinking we're going to win the East? Eh, maybe. Uh, I, I, like it wouldn't be that shocking to me, but I think the more likely scenario is still going to be the Bills or potentially the Patriots if Sidham works out. Um, I, I think the Jets are probably more wild card contenders than division contenders at this point. But if Sam goes down and you go zero and two because you don't have a good or even just don't have any sort of talent at the backup quarterback position, that can cost you a wild card spot. So I think it's imperative to have talent at the backup quarterback position that you're developing, a guy that you can count on to come in and make plays when you need to if your starter goes down. Uh, you know, the Eagles, are they took Jalen Hurts in the second round because Howie Roseman has almost like PTSD when it comes to backup quarterbacks. He, he He's done a lot of interviews lately where he's talking about all the different seasons that the Eagles have relied on backup quarterbacks. 2 4 obviously Nick Fultz. Michael Vick came in as a backup and they won the division. So, you know, I, I think Douglas, who trained under Howie, has that same kind of mindset of, we need to have a backup quarterback in case the worst happens because there's going to come a time where we need to win a game when Sam's not on the field and it might cost us the division if we don't win that game. So we better be ready for it. That's the, the mentality that I think he was making that pick with. And then in the fifth round, I think you and I agree on this. I thought this was one of the biggest steals of the entire draft 
And that, of course, was Bryce Hall, the cornerback from Virginia, somebody who easily could have gone in the first or second round last year if he'd have come out early, led the nation in pass breakups, comes back to school, hurts his ankle, and I think he slipped entirely because of what's going on in the world right now and doctors couldn't get a look at him team doctors that is and so they weren't 100% sure that he was going to be able to recover to be 100% or at least exactly where he was before the injury but to me this is a guy that easily could have been picked in the third certainly could have been picked in the fourth but to get him in the fifth He's a player that I just think, even if he's not an elite athlete, got great size at six foot one. He's really good off press and on press. He's somebody that has great instincts around the ball, outstanding teammate, character is through the roof. This is a kid who I've said for a couple of weeks now makes Tony Dungy look like Richie Incognito when it comes to character. Absolutely incredible. In his free time, he's teaching reading and writing to underprivileged children at the local elementary schools, and that's when he's not going to class or studying film or practicing because that's pretty much all he's done when he's been at the University of Virginia. I absolutely love this pick, and I'll tell you, Brett, I don't know where he's at physically right now, but if he can get to the point where he's even close to 100%, he's going to come into camp, and he may not win this job on day one, but he's going to give the rest of those cornerbacks all they can handle. Yeah, by midseason, he's going to start. You know, The, the Jets just got a starting corner for nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, the only reason he fell that far is because of medical. Again, the recheck situation, uh, team doctors not having access to him. I will say this, a groin injury from Ashton Davis is a lot less significant than a broken angle for Bryce Hall. Mm-hmm. So he fell further than Davis because broken ankles are just flat out a worse injury to have. Um, but I haven't heard anything about him being slow to recover or that his recovery has not gone entirely according to plan. Like he's on track to come back. Um, and I, I think it's unfortunate that he fell, but just with, with all the bad luck and, and, and everything going on in the world right now, it was almost unavoidable. So it, it sucks, but for the Jets specifically, it worked out for them because they got a really good football player probably three rounds after he should have gone. Again, like you said, he's got size. He plays off. Like he's one of the only 6-1 corners that I've seen that has actual good footwork as an off corner. Um, he's really zone aware. Like he can play bump and run with his size. Um, he's really scheme diverse. He plays the run. You mentioned the characters through the roof. He's a little bit older as a prospect, but I don't really particularly care about that. Like if you get five good years out of a guy, if you include franchise tags, that's kind of all you can really expect at this point in the era of free agency. You never know who's going to be on your roster in five or six years. So I, I don't really plan beyond that. So if I can get a really good corner for five years minimum for dirt cheap, and even if he's 29 when the contract is up, I don't care because I get five really good years of a starting caliber corner for nothing. So, again, phenomenal pick. Um, in any other year, if there was medical rechecks, he would not have gone that late. But fortunately for the Jets, he was available. They took him without even questioning it. And I, I think they got a starter for a long time out of him. Who do you think he profiles closely to? You know, I was thinking about that because – he's so unique in terms of being a big corner that you would expect to kind of be like that Seattle style. Like we're playing press, we're playing press bail. And it's, it's not, it's not quite the same because again, he, he can play off. Um, 
I mean, he's got a wicked T-step and close, which for a guy his size is extremely rare. He kind of reminded me of Jennings uh, from the Bears back in the day, who would he was a, again a big corner, but they played him a lot in zone, and he could play off. Uh, was it Tim Jennings? I think it was mm-hmm. uh, on those great Bears defenses. Kind of reminds me of him in terms of frame and, and skill set, and he was a good corner for a really long time. So if you're getting that kind of player again for a fifth round pick, that is exceptional. Yeah, no question about it. And that's a big part of the reason why I love the pick. Because as you said, Brett, even if you only get four to five years out of him, in the fifth round, if you can get a high-level starter or at least even a solid starter at a premium position for that many years in the fifth round, that's an absolute win. The trend here for the Jets that was interesting is they got a whole bunch of team captains, right? Including Braden Mann, who is their final pick, the punter from Texas A&M. He was a captain, Bryce Hall a captain. Every player that they picked on day three was a captain, including, of course, Captain Morgan, which is where the nickname comes from in addition to the alcoholic beverage that bears the name. So do you think that's a smart strategy? I know that Joe Douglas wants the bigger, faster, stronger, but he also seems to really want these guys that have their heads screwed on straight. A lot of teams don't pay proper attention to that, but he really seems committed to that strategy. I've said it a lot over the last couple of years. Talent wins you games, culture wins you championships. And, and they are definitely trying to build a, a unique and special culture there with high-character guys, leaders, hard workers, that also just happen to be really talented football players. Um, I, I was a big proponent of the Quinn and Williams pick last year because, again, super high-character guy. He was super young, but he's a very hard worker. and He's a great kid on top of being talented. And when you add in all the, the talented, high-character guys they took this year, like they're, they're building a special locker room. They, they really are. And I'm, I'm excited to see where the Jets are going to be in a couple years because uh, I think they're going to be right up there with Buffalo. And if Tua works out, they'll be, built, uh, they'll be up there with Miami. And I think they'll be competing for the division every single year, not just because of the talent they've acquired, but because of the locker room they're building. Fingers crossed for that, Brett. Believe me, Jets fans, we need that a lot. We need some actual competition for playoff spots and division titles. It's been a while. There was one more move that the Jets had up their sleeve on draft night, but it wasn't a draft pick. They traded their final pick, number 211, which is a weird deal because they had gotten it from the Chiefs for Darren Lee. Then they traded it to the Colts conditionally for Nate Hairston, but the conditions weren't met, so the pick went back to the Jets. Then the Jets turned around and gave it back to the Colts again, this time for Quincy Wilson, the cornerback who was picked in the second round out of Florida in 2017. What did you think of this move, Brett? And do you remember what your evaluation was of Quincy Wilson coming out of college? And what have your thoughts been on him since he's been with the Colts? Uh, I was not a huge Quincy Wilson fan when he was coming out. Um, I was not a proponent of him being taken in the first two rounds in the first place. So I think this is the Colts just getting what they can out of him. Uh, he's he's not going to start for the Jets. I'll just say that. If Bryce Hall is healthy, he will play over Quincy Wilson. But for the cost of number 211, would you say that it works out for both sides in the sense that, like you said, the Colts are just getting what they can and the Jets, or if nothing else, getting somebody who at least has a better chance of succeeding than anybody that they would have gotten with that pick? Yeah, they're, they're kicking the tires and just seeing what's there. It's possible that you know they're, they're going back to the work that they did on Quincy when he was, when he was coming out. But maybe they were high on him. 
when he was coming out. And so they're just seeing if anything was left of the player that he was in college or that they believed he was in college. I think it's kind of, it's an exploratory thing of like, let's, let's just see what's there. We were high on him four years ago, whatever it was, whatever year he was coming out. Um, and it's a seventh round pick. So honestly, who cares? You know, it, it's, it's a lottery ticket just to see what's left. Honestly. I think that's a fair description of what you're getting when you use a pick at number 211 in the NFL draft, but certainly Denzel Mims, much more than a lottery ticket, as we will find out tomorrow when Brett comes back on to discuss his video, Denzel Mims, Sleeper Superstar. We're going to go in-depth on Mr. Mims with Brett and talk about why he loved him so much and thinks that he has a chance to be a legitimate number one wide receiver in the NFL. In the meantime, make sure that you're following Brett on Twitter at Brett Coleman, B-R-E-T-T-K-O-L-L-M-A-N-N. Subscribe to The Film Room, his YouTube channel. He's got 250,000 YouTube subscribers for a reason. He is the best out there, so make sure that you're watching all of his videos. If you haven't given us a five-star review yet on iTunes, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show. If you like what we're doing, it doesn't take you much time. It doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could do that for us, we would be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turnonthejets.com.